you know, we've all been there at some point in our lives, you know, left on the curbs of life as someone or something drives off without us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just think that any rejection, any abandonment is an opportunity to grow closer to the heart of the Father. You know, we know it in our minds, but those painful, painful situations are an opportunity to just tell him everything. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, he sees you, and he loves you because you are his. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. When was the last time you felt left out or rejected? Maybe a relationship ended unexpectedly or that job you really wanted turned you down. Suddenly you feel like you don't belong or you've been left behind by someone or something that you truly cared about. Today we're talking with a wise woman and my friend, Loralee Craker, about her experiences with orphans, both as herself, an adopted child, and as an adoptive mother. Loralee grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and with her loving adoptive family, but that didn't stop her desire to find her biological parents later on in life. And we'll touch on more of that in our conversation. Laura Lee is the author of many books, including Anne of Green Gables, My Daughter and Me, a book inspired by her adopted daughter's question about what an orphan is. Laura Lee speaks to women who feel abandoned, cast off, and left behind. She believes there is an orphan in us all. She is a super fan of classic rock literary heroine books, hockey, and racial justice. She currently lives in Grand Rapids with her husband and three children. Let's hear more from Loralee Craker on this episode of God Hears Her. So Erin, we've got a friend of mine here today. I'm excited to introduce you to Loralee Craker. And I just was talking with Loralee and we last saw each other. It's been like six years. So my heart's like, wink, 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 to, to see her, you know, in person remotely here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like any guest that we've brought on here, Elisa, that you've known, there's always been this like deep connection, this deep exchange, whether it's stories or it's an experience that you've shared. So I'm going to be just picking all these questions out for you, Laura Lee, because as much as Elisa knows you well, I don't. <laughs> I can't wait to learn about you. Watch out. Watch out. Hey, welcome, Laura Lee. Thank you so much. I love being here. I love seeing you, Elisa, and meeting you, Erin. And we want to know a little bit about you. I mean, when we were talking just before we started talking, if you will, you said you're originally from Winnipeg. I've just got to completely confess, and please forgive me, I am so geographically impaired. <laughs> Take me straight up north. Where is Winnipeg in Canada? Okay, let's say, so I'm in Michigan. Okay, right now. So, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. So you drive west. Okay. And then you keep driving north and you get to Minnesota. Okay. And you okay. Keep, yeah. You yeah. keep driving north and uh, you get to North Dakota and then you keep driving. And oh, then wow. you get to Manitoba, which is my home province. So, wow. mm-hmm. and you said it was the coldest place. It's the coldest big city in the world. Oh, so wow. it's, it's the coldest like city above a population of 500,000. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So, so you grew up in, in Winnipeg, but you ended up landing in Grand Rapids for the last several decades. And, you know, we want to we wanna dig into your story. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about growing up in Winnipeg, what your life was like growing up, and then your transition and, and who you are. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was adopted by a Mennonite couple. So uh, that's a big part of my background is I grew up Mennonite. Okay, somebody may not understand what Mennonite is. Right, right. Well, my parents both sort of came via Ukraine. It's a little bit complicated, but Catherine the Great invited the Mennonites, who were German, Swiss German ethnically, to farm her steps, right? So she invited them to come and sort of civilize the steppes and be farmers. So my dad was actually born in Ukraine. Oh, Mm -hmm. and you're talking about your birth dad or your... No, my adoptive dad, yeah. So he was an immigrant as well. He fled Stalin by foot as a six-year-old child. And it was like something out of like Fiddler on the Roof, you know? yeah. Yeah. And then the the Mennonites kind of repatriated to Germany because they're ethnically German, but you know that it was from Stalin to Hitler, so that was like out of the frying pan into the fire, yeah. and so that story, that Mennonite story, really shaped my life and my upbringing. And I am the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow, we could have a whole conversation just. About I know, that. I know. So that Mennonite culture is really strong in Winnipeg. So I miss that culture. And how old were you when you were adopted? Oh, straight from the hospital. Okay. Yeah. I was born in 1968. So in those okay. days, there were many, many babies available for adoption. Hmm. And in fact, the social worker called my dad and said, you can come pick pick your daughter out. Out. Yeah. Oh. Pick her out. Wow. Not pick her up. Oh. Pick her out. And my dad got really mad. And he said, you know, I'm not going to buy a cow. You wow. pick her out, and that will be God's pick for us. Oh, oh it gives me chills. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So my parents came and picked me up and brought me home, and that was that. Was that. Did they tell you from the get-go that you were adopted, or was that a, a revelation that came to you when you are older? Mm. Yeah, I just grew up knowing it, you know, and I have my own adopted daughter now, Phoebe, who is 16, going on 17. And I can't even explain how you do it. You just, Mm -hmm. you just talk about it from day one and Mm -hmm. make it a very normal, natural part of, you know, the child's upbringing. And so I always knew and, and I think more and more, especially younger adoptive parents now, they're so conscious Mm -hmm. of all the pieces of the story and all the integrating that needs to be done. And I don't know, I think integrating is is really Uh the best word. Were you the only child? No. uh, So my brother was adopted then two and a half years later. So it was just he and I. That's like your family, right, Elisa? A girl and a boy? Yes. And if I can just pop in here, I, I'm sure. I'm wondering. I remember we did the same thing. We told our kids they were adopted from the get-go, and we got them both as babies. Uh, they were picked out for us, <laughs> as you're saying, as babies. But I remember with each of them kind of a dawning, a, a, a coming into the realization that while it was a part of the fabric of their upbringing, there was a, a, a period when identifying themselves as adopted took on a different meaning for them. And I I wonder if if you had that happen at all to yourself. Did you have a moment of epiphany or a moment of, whoa, what does this mean? 
Well, I do know that I thought a lot about my birth parents, especially my birth mother. I didn't think very much about my birth father until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, he just didn't seem to be even on my radar that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I did think a lot about my birth mother. And I remember on my birthdays, I would think about her because I knew she was thinking about me. Mm. And so that I've always thought for adoptees, if you have any self-awareness at all, I think honestly, you're going to be kind of sad on your birthday because you're going to be thinking about your birth mother Mm. and what she gave up and what she lost and what you lost. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's honest. That's raw. And that's probably really painful for some people listening. I know for me as a mom of adopted kids, I can touch that and feel that. And I'm in a dual role that you understand too, I think, that I also am the grandmother of a child who was relinquished, a grandchild who was relinquished. So I I feel both sides of that. I do think of him on his birthday. And I do think of the birth mothers of my children Mm -hmm. on their birthdays. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. such an eye-opening perspective. I'm so grateful that you shared that because I do have friends that have been adopted and uh, it's just a reminder to me about giving space for grieving, even if it's been 20, Mm -hmm. 30 Mm -hmm. years, 40 years of being adopted. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very pro-adoption. Sometimes at night I will scroll on the hashtag adoption is beautiful and just Aww. be all misty eyed because there's these beautiful families forming and mm. my heart is just swelling. And, you know, my husband's like, you know, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very pro adoption, but yet I am clear that adoption is not all rainbows and sunshine and there's a lot of pain. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of things to be reckoned with, a loss to be reckoned with. And I'm just, I'm just going to go back to the word integrate. Mm -hmm. And with my Mm -hmm. daughter, she's adopted from South Korea when she was six and a half months old. And I just try so hard to kind of empower her to come to terms with her beginnings, Mm -hmm. you know, her broken beginnings, but also... You know, I'm a huge fan of anything Korean. So you really embrace her heritage. Mm -hmm. I think that is so Mm -hmm. important, especially with a transracial adoption. Mm -hmm. There's things in our DNA that call us home. Mm -hmm. You know, I know for my daughter, her Instagram bio is like proud Asian, Mm -hmm. you know, with a Mm -hmm. Korean flag. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make her white like me. She's not. She's Asian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you take us back into your childhood and growing up years? And and did you come to know your birth parents? And, and, you know, what was that journey like for you? And, and, you know, where were your uh, adoptive parents during the process? And Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think my my parents were really kind of ahead of their time in some ways. They always said, whenever you're ready to look for your birth mother, we will support you. That is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And they were very much like your birth mother loved you and she she sacrificed and she did the most loving thing for you and giving you up and so Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of healthy things that went on there. But I did you know, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. So I didn't talk about it much, but I would, you know, I was kind of a dreamy, bookish, imaginative child. And, you know, I would just daydream about who this woman might be. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in my mind, I pictured sort of this feminist businesswoman. <laughs> and it's so funny because my mom, she was the opposite, right? <laughs> Not. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, she was a nurse, but she was mostly like a homemaker and a mom. And so it, it's very interesting to me that my fantasy, I guess, was that my birth mother be this woman with, you know, padded shoulders. <laughs> Back in the day. This is the 80s. Yes. You know, <laughs> running business meetings and stuff. And so I didn't actually find my birth mother till I was 27. Uh-huh. And I'm really glad that I waited that long. When we come back, Laura Lee will share with us more about her expectations for her birth parents and why things didn't exactly work out the way she thought they would. That's coming up on God Hears Her. Thanks for listening to this God Hears Her podcast. Erin and I love sharing this space with you. And you know what? We want to invite you to become an even bigger part of our God Hears Her community to sign up for our weekly email newsletter. We'll keep you updated on new podcasts, encouraging blog posts, exciting new products, so much. Just go to GodHearsHer.org and sign up today. That's GodHearsHer.org. Now back to the show. When I got married at the age of 23, I kind of wanted her to be there, and I mentioned it, and my parents, you know... I think they thought they would be okay with it, but when the rubber met the road, they were like, nah, you know, and I see now actually that would have been too much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then Mm -hmm. I kind of parked it for for a few years. I always knew I was going to try to find her. And I saw a brochure for a Christian businesswoman's breakfast, and it had my birth mother's maiden name, which was one piece of information that my parents did know. What? Yeah, I know. Oh my goodness. And I was just like, what in the world? And this woman happened to be the executive assistant for the lieutenant governor of Manitoba. She had this big fancy job. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is the woman that I've been thinking about. (laughs) Your imagination come true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was crazy. And then when I was 27, I reached out to this woman. I wrote her a letter. (laughs) So... She wrote me back and she said, I'm not your birth mother, but I think I know who is. And so she helped me with post-adoption services in Manitoba where they help you. Mm. They they reunite adoptees and their birth parents. Mm. She pulled some strings with them and they figured out who it was. They called my birth mother and said, your daughter is looking for you. Mm. And at first she was like, how did you get my number? Mm -hmm. She was very defensive, but eventually we connected. Wow. Now, were you (laughs) a mom by then? No, I was 29 when I had Jonah, my firstborn. So we Mm -hmm. had a couple of years to kind of get to know each other. It was all by letters. Mm. Would you share what you remember about the very first letter and what you wrote? Was it like a couple pages? Was it a paragraph? Did you write your first book? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Elisa, I think you know the, the answer to that question. It was not a paragraph. <laughs> it was the world's longest Christmas letter, right? Yeah. Encapsulating 27 Christmases. Mm. So we wrote back and forth. And, you know, what was really interesting was she's actually a writer. 
And I always thought, and I do give most of the credit to my dad, the bookseller, who just brought books and books and books. And our whole life was books. Mm -hmm. But she is a writer. And it's so funny because she was a nature writer. (laughs) Oh, wow. And she wrote like a guidebook to a national park. And she was a nature columnist. And it's so funny because the only nature that I do is the beach right? I love the beach, Mm -hmm. but I don't really do nature. And so here she's writing these elaborate columns about like fungi and stuff. And (laughs) (laughs) a little different than what you were expecting her to be. (laughs) Yeah, very different. I love that. You know, she's a nice lady, but I don't know. In the end of the day, she's, she's not my mom. And I just don't feel that way about her, hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, yeah you're sharing the, the reality. And I, I'm going to go back to your word of integration. You know, we dream up these images of what might be and then reality is there and we bring forth ourselves to it. And, and you're probably not exactly what she imagined and she's not exactly what you imagined. And she can't yeah. possibly know how you really were raised and you can't possibly know what she really went through. But, but yeah. thread through now, if you could, your journey into your own family. Um, how did you come to the decision to adopt? Um, and tell us that part of your story. You know, it's not every day that we meet someone who's had both ends of the spectrum as you have. Mm-hmm. Well, I always knew I wanted to adopt just because I was so pro-adoption and I thought it was a great thing. So I knew when I married my husband that even before I married him, I'm like, we are not advancing any further until I I really understand that you are open to this. Mm-hmm. And not only open, but enthusiastic. Because mm-hmm. I had heard so many guys especially say, well, that's great for you, but I couldn't adopt someone who was not my own flesh and blood. Yeah. But for Doyle, he was totally on board. And he was 100% open and So then we had uh, two biological sons, Jonah and Ezra. And when Ezra was born, they had told us it was a girl, you know, on the ultrasound. (laughs) (laughs) But something didn't sit right with me. I was like, "Mm, you know, I'm just going to wait and see. And then I had a C-section and there's this tarp over you, right, as they're pulling the baby out of you. Mm -hmm. The doctor says, it's a boy. (laughs) And we're, I was just like this electric shock current went through me because I was, I was shocked, but yet not shocked. Mm. And I thought, oh, yay, I get to use the name Ezra. And and then my very next thought was, we're going to adopt a girl. Mm. So it was almost like a birthday for her too. Her name means bright shining star. Phoebe. Phoebe. Mm. Phoebe means bright shining star. So as I put it in my book, Anne of Green Gables, my daughter and me, I knew a bright shining star Mm -hmm. was coming to us all. So share with us when you started wrestling, getting the stirring in you to write a book. And how did that transpire in the title, Anne of Green Gables? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I had written a bunch of books, mostly for young moms. Okay. I also wrote a book with Britney Spears' mom. So I've always loved Anne of Green Gables. And it was probably because, you know, she was an orphan. And Mm. she was adopted, even though the word adoption, I don't think, appears anywhere in the book. It was more of a, you know, a common transaction Mm. in 18... 
whatever it was uh, before the turn of the century that farm people would would take in orphans to sort of yeah kind of be part of their family but also help out with the chores and whatever so that was the situation for Anne Mm -hmm. and I think my spirit really responded to Anne in how she she was Mm -hmm. always looking for belonging she was always looking for her people her bosom friend yeah her bosom friend (laughs) her kindred spirit yes yes and so Mm. then I was just really Mm. honored to be able to write my story my adoption story and Phoebe's adoption story and and weave it with Anne's adoption story basically Mm. the whole concept the word orphan is kind of a weird word you know we think about Annie you know, and we, we think about Oliver, if you want to go back in time a little further. What does that word orphan mean to you? What have you learned about it? Well, I don't think it's a bad word. I think it's a statement. And some adoptive parents are very anxious to sort of get away from that word. And and yeah, it's not like I, I call Phoebe an orphan or whatever. But The truth is, is that we can all feel orphaned. And one of the dictionary definitions that I found for orphan was bereft, left behind, and left. Mm. Mm. So that kicked off a whole new avenue of thought for my book and a whole new kind of vision for who could be reading the book and who could be responding to the message that, you know, in Christ, we are orphans no more. And we've all felt like bereft, left behind, and left. And so to Mm -hmm. me, it's not a bad word or it's not a word to avoid because I think once you're adopted, that doesn't mean the orphan feelings go away. Right. I'm 53 now and I think for the rest of my life, I will sort of trying to be integrating that, my broken beginnings with my life and with the person that I've become, my family that I grew up with. I'm just going to try to put all those puzzle pieces together with God's help. And I mean, for me, it's been the healthiest way to look at it is, yeah, still missing some puzzle pieces. (laughs) But I know that, you know, in God's grace and timing that they'll probably click right Mm -hmm. in there. So... Mm -hmm. You know, it's very real to say that we can feel orphaned, but we might not be able to put our hands around that concept. You know, I I know what it feels like to be abandoned or to be bereft, those words. Mm -hmm. I didn't use the word orphaned until both of my parents died. And when both of my parents died, I realized, bam, I am now an orphan. I may have looked Mm -hmm. at my children as having been relinquished, and I understood it from possibly began to understand it from their perspective. But then I experienced Mm -hmm. it. And and being in the condition of not having parents myself brought a deeper understanding to the reality. I think what you're referencing that, that Paul talks about in Scripture, that we are orphaned. You know, from a spiritual sense, how do you understand that concept that, you know, you just referenced it, but what do you think that means? How has God taught you about that condition? Well, one thing I learned from my pastor, who is an adoptive father of three biracial children, and he did that in the 80s. So that was that was way before his time. And he always said, God is not an adoptive father. He's an adopting father. It's ongoing. It's part of his character to adopt children. So you and I, Elisa, are adoptive 
mothers, right? Right. We did not continue to adopt children, (laughs) millions and millions of children, but this is in God's character. Mm. So I love that. I love that concept of just God, just looking around to see who he can adopt and embrace Mm. and love and care for. Mm. So Mm. for me, I don't know. I don't know how people get through these adoption puzzle pieces without the Lord and without Mm. the Holy Spirit, you know, just gently whispering, I have found you. I'm keeping you. Mm. I did find my birth father as well. He was a totally different story. I mean, he... He wrote me a big fat letter, which I thought boded well, but it didn't bode well. It was like a a 10 page like business letter almost with basic information just to kind of get rid of me. And, you know, one thing I thought was, I mean, I was heartbroken at the time. I was 45 when this happened and I was heartbroken and it just led me to the father who will never turn his back on me, who will never try to say, well, I'm not sure if I'm really the guy, because that's what my birth father tried to put out there until Ancestry DNA put that quite to rest. So, <laughs> you, you know, I love your spirit, Loralee. You You're so resilient and um you are able to laugh at the brokenness and yet embrace the brokenness. And, you know, if I could just ask you a little bit more here, I know that as an adoptive mom, and thank you for that distinction, I came into the process of thinking I could make up for any losses that my kids had. And I've learned that I can't, that they will have losses, that that's part of the process of being relinquished by a birth parent and being adopted by adoptive parents. You know, as an adoptive mom, you know, with Phoebe, she's still young. Do you think she'll find her birth mom, want to find her birth parents? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you integrate, I'm going to go back to your word, the inevitable losses that your daughter will experience and has experienced? Well, you know, it's been so interesting because, well, she's internationally adopted. So in a way, her birth mother just seems so far away. But, you know, she's as close as Phoebe in some ways. I mean, she she is present in Phoebe. Mm-hmm. She is bundled in her bones. So, I mean, it is different with an international adoption, cross-cultural, different language. And I've always told her, I will be there with you and for you. And you know what? She's going to need a ton of support because I was 27 and it was totally mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And it it can really do a number on you when you've thought about this person your whole life and then you meet them. They don't live up to your expectations because nobody can. Mm-hmm. You have to be so strong in your own identity. Mm-hmm. So she's going to need a lot of support. And that's the way I, I'm trying to look at it is support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Provide that safe space for her to do that at her own pace. That's beautiful. Yeah. But overall, I think it's been a good thing that uh, we can talk about, you know, these stories very openly. And nothing is a secret. And it's all, everything is an open book. That's awesome. What would you tell the woman that's listening right now that feels left feels like she doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know that the Lord is present in this and 
that he hasn't left me and there's nothing I can do to separate. But I feel this abandonment and this pain. What would you share with her from maybe a tactical standpoint? But then also, what would you share from a heart standpoint of just empowering her and how she feels? Well, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, we've all been there at some point in our lives, you know, left on the curbs of life as someone or something drives off without us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm a writer, I'm an author, and it's 90% rejection. I mean, you know, there's just so much rejection that it's, you know, unfortunately, my only skill. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just think that any rejection, any abandonment is an opportunity to grow closer to the heart of the father. You know, we know it in our minds, but those painful, painful situations are an opportunity to just tell him everything. Tell him how crappy we feel, how sad, how abandoned. I'm a big fan of name it to tame it. Mm. So every emotion (laughs) that I feel, I mean, you know, when when I think of it as name it to tame it is... Mm -hmm. I just put it out there and I say, Lord, I'm feeling anxious, aggravated, sad, rejected, lonely. And then something in me feels better after Mm -hmm. listing all of it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Mm -hmm. we try to put a a spiritual bow on things and we try to say, oh, we're fine. We're Mm -hmm. just going to trust the Lord. We're not fine. And he gets it. And in those cases, I try to just invite him to be with me in my pain. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way to go through it is just with him, with his arm around your shoulders, just moving through that pain. And he wants to be there with us. He doesn't want us to dress up like we're going to church before talking to him. He wants us when we're like lying on the floor with our face in the carpet so sad, so bereft, so left behind. That's when he wants to come to us and dry our tears and move through the pain with us. Can I ask you to pray for that woman right now, Laurel? You you get it. You get it. You get it. You get it. Mm -hmm. So if you could put this into a prayer for whoever's listening and needs to reach out to God right now. All right. Dear Lord, I just pray for your precious, precious daughter right now. Lord, your heart breaks as you see her feeling so alone and so abandoned and so rejected, Lord. I just pray that she would feel your arms around her. I pray that she would remember through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are so close to her right now. That even though it feels like the whole world has abandoned her, shut her out, found no use at all for her, that you have purpose for her, that you have a beautiful plan for her, that you have good works to do, that you have ordained since the beginning of time, Lord, for her. And I just pray that you are the God of all comfort. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And I believe it is your design in your desire, Lord, to heal us. And I pray that that woman would would know that and cling to that, Lord, despite her feelings, Lord, that you are healing her and you are with her and she will make it. 
In your name I pray, amen. The word orphan can seem harsh or cruel, but when we feel like we are orphaned, we can remember that the Lord had adopted us as his own. I love Laura Lee's honesty about giving the Lord every feeling and letting him comfort us through whatever we're facing. Laura Lee has so much to teach us when it comes to feelings of abandonment and rejection. She knows what that's like, and she continues to hand every feeling over to Christ. Well, before we close out today's episode of God Hears Her, we want to remind you that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes include a link to learn more about Laura Lee and to buy her book, Anne of Green Gables, My Daughter and Me. There's also a link to a free resource. It's a digital e-booklet on adoption that Laura Lee wrote for Our Daily Bread. There are also links to connect with Elisa and me on social. So check out the show notes or visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson. We also want to recognize Pat and Londa for their support and help in creating the God Hears Her podcast. We appreciate you all. Thank you. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.